Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 103 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Left Behind, an interview with Abby Lotrich. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So, Matt, we named this episode Left Behind because we interviewed this wonderful young woman who grew up in Old Lyme, Connecticut, and we were shocked to find out that she was not given the basic educational tools she needed to avoid getting sick from Lyme disease. And she's been sick since she's seven years old. Rich, what's even worse is that when Abby went to the doctors in Lyme, Connecticut, and she had the classic symptoms of Lyme disease, they failed to properly diagnose her. What makes matters even worse, once she finally got a Lyme diagnosis, they didn't even properly treat her for Lyme disease. So Matt, you'd expect that of all places, the birthplace of Lyme disease would be a place where you could first get the educational tools you need to avoid Lyme disease. And then you'd expect that if you did come in contact with Lyme, you would find doctors that would quickly diagnose you and quickly treat you so you would not have chronic Lyme disease. Well, that hasn't happened in Old Lyme, Connecticut, but I'm happy to tell you that I believe there is going to be a change coming out of Old Lyme, Connecticut, but I think it's not going to be the adults there. I think it's going to be young people like Abby Lotridge. And I believe that she's going to do what her Instagram handle suggests. She's going to kick out line. Hey, Abby, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for bringing me on. Uh, we're really blessed to have you. So Abby, can you share with our listeners where you live? I'm in East Lyme, Connecticut. East Lyme, Connecticut, which is actually very famous in our community because that's uh, one of the communities where Lyme disease was first observed, correct? Yeah, it is. So how was it uh, growing up in uh, East Lyme, Connecticut? Um. I actually really like it. I mean, it's kind of feels like the middle of nowhere, but you're surrounded by beaches, so it's a lot of fun. And everyone here is actually really into sports, and I'm really into sports, so I grew up playing like five different sports, I think, maybe more. And it's just a lot of fun here. I like it. So I'm wondering, did you, growing up, feel like there was a sort of cloud hanging over your community because Lyme disease had been uh, first observed in your community? Not in my community, I would say. I feel like it actually was not really even talked about that much because I honestly didn't know that much about it till um, when I first got diagnosed. So it's like really weird that it was found here because it's not a huge thing here and you won't find a doctor here that does anything with it. So let's, let's talk about that, Abby, because my impression as someone who grew up on Long Island, where uh, we're Tick, the ticks that ultimately um, resulted in the discovery of the bacteria were discovered. It was a big part of my childhood. Uh, you know, Lyme, at least not Lyme, but ticks and tick diseases are a big part of my childhood. And I'm wondering, um, did you learn about Lyme disease and were you taught how to do tick checks either from your family or in school or somewhere else? We were never really taught much about it. Like my parents did, I feel like what most parents do now is like when you're out playing in long grass for a little bit, they'll check you after, but it wasn't like every day or like anywhere, even though we have animals. I mean, we treated the animals, but it was never like a big thing and no one really ever talked about it here that I remember. Well, you just describe yourself as an athlete in your community uh, as a community that seems to celebrate athletics. Um, did you ever have a coach or, or anyone in any athletic arena say to you, hey, guys, gals, uh, folks, you're, you're, you're now going to be coming in contact with ticks because you're playing outside and you're practicing outside and you're training outside. Um, were, were you ever urged to do regular tick checks to determine whether or not you had ticks biting you? Not that I remember. 
I mean, no more than like what parents usually do occasionally. Like we'll check you sometimes. So it seems to me the only educational information you received about ticks, Lyme disease and tick diseases generally came from the limited information you received from your parents. Mm -hmm. So now let's talk about when you first started to show the symptoms of your tick disease, Abby. How old were you when you first started to show the symptoms of your tick disease? I'm going to guess around seven. I remember it being early elementary school, and that's usually like six or seven years old. Because I always had like leg pain, headaches. I was always tired. Those were the three main ones, which isn't like normal for kids that age. But I honestly never even questioned it till I started seeing my actual Lyme doctor. So okay, now that so I think about it, that's when it really started. So when did you first get diagnosed with Lyme disease? You said you started showing the symptoms at around the age of seven. When did you first get diagnosed with Lyme disease? It was around 10 or 11. I might have been just turning 11, maybe still 10. It's around that age. So um, you're now 19 years old? Mm -hmm. So you've been dealing with the symptoms of Lyme disease for more time uh, than not during the course of your life. Yeah, it's yeah. been definitely over half my life. So talk to us about what it was like to have the symptoms of your Lyme disease uh, from when you were seven, eight years old, all the way until today. How, how has Lyme affected your life? Um, early on, I mean, just being tired all the time. I didn't want to go to school. Of course, I might have abused that a little bit when I was younger. But um, a lot of times I really couldn't go to school. I was always tired. Kids always asked me from seven to even when I graduated high school, they're like, why are you never here? And I would always just answer tired because I didn't feel like explaining it. Um, and I'd always have to cancel like plans with my friends, especially once we got to like middle school and high school, once you start like going out more. Um, and people really never understood why, or they'd give me a hard time. And then it was just, and then you have teachers who like, who are helping you, but you're never there. And then they kind of don't understand. And it's just, it was always kind of weird and different and frustrating all at the same time because you want to be a kid but then it's really hard to just be a kid when you have all that stuff well so let's talk about that so i mean most kids of course want to have a lot of friends and they want to do the things that kids want to do with their friends uh did your um symptoms interfere with your ability to be a normal kid and to have the kinds of friendships that you think most of your other friends had they definitely did because especially the middle school age, once you start seeing them more, they can't comprehend it that much. So it's like you're never there and then they don't really try to hang out with you that much because you're still so young. You're still like finding your friends. So it's a lot harder to find friends the way people were able to normally. And like you couldn't do like all play dates like everyone does when you're that young um, just because I was so tired and everything hurt so much and I get sick really easily. Like, I actually used to get strep throat twice a month. Um, so I never really got to go out with them at all, very often. So do you think your social circle was smaller during your childhood and your, um, and your teen years than most of the other people in your community? I think it was definitely smaller as a child, and it changed a lot. Just because when you're that age, you don't really have, well, I don't think at least here, you don't really have that set group yet. Till once you kind of reach late middle school, early high school. And then my friend group changed a lot till high school, but then I lost a lot of those high school friends. And then I kept a small circle that really kind of like didn't understand, but wanted to be there for me at the same time. So it's like, I kept them, but then kind of lost everyone else. Cause they like, 
didn't understand or didn't really want to deal with it or any of that. So what, what kinds of challenges did you face in your social circles? Meaning, were people accusing you of being lazy? Were they accusing you of claiming to be sick when you weren't sick? What kinds of things did you have to deal with that most uh, people your age didn't have to deal with? Um, I think a lot of people didn't believe me. Well, that might be partially my fault because I never really talked about it. I would just say like, oh, I was sick or oh, I was tired. But that's kind of hard to believe when you say that every week like every other week um so i think a lot of people had trouble believing me especially in school so it was kind of a really weird thing to go through without really talking about it because like how can they understand if i'm not going to talk about it that often so let's talk about your teachers you you said earlier that uh you felt that some of your teachers got frustrated with you because you were often absent um, what impact did your lyme disease have on attending school, developing relationships with teachers, and of course, your academic successes? In middle school, I actually, all my teachers, most of them, except for a few, really got in a lot of fights with my parents, like emails and stuff, because I was never there and I couldn't get all the work done. And they were always like, she needs to be here. Like she can't be out of school often. Um, and then I also had two surgeries, which made me miss like months of school as well with the Lyme. So even my doctor said I can't be in school and they were still like, she has to be here. She has to be doing this work. And my mom was like, she can't be doing this work. She's exhausted. She is not feeling good. It's like she has the flu all the time and they would still like fight them and they'd get in huge fights. Um, but then once I reached high school, it like completely changed. My teachers were amazing in high school. They really understood. Well, I mean, they can't understand, but they understood that I couldn't be there. Um, they would spend their lunches, their before and after school, my study halls, every free time they had, they would spend with me, catching me up, getting me the work I, that was needed. And then they would um, exempt me from all the work that they thought I didn't have to do, which even included quizzes and some projects. They would say like, you don't have to do this. Like you already know it. Um, so they were extremely helpful. And I actually got really close with some of them. I even still, I'm in touch with all my high school teachers to this day too. So it's really cool to still have them around with me. And it's amazing to see like that difference between high school and middle school. Cause like middle school, you're a little kid, you would think they would want to help you more. Cause like you're more of an adult in high school kind of handle yourself, but it's weird the change. Once I got to high school, it's like they want to do everything for me. Middle school was more like, you have to be here. You have to be doing this. And they were a lot harder on me, even though I was like a little kid, which is weird. <laughs> So let, let's talk about your relationship with your parents. Um, how did your Lyme disease symptoms impact your parents? <sighs> they were super, definitely really frustrated, not with me, but with the fact that we couldn't get any answers and we had people going against me all the time and that we had people saying, oh, she's fine, because they knew I wasn't and they would really get them really upset. And they were doing a lot of research and then we'd kind of take it out on each other also because Lyme causes a lot of like anger and I've dealt with that a lot, especially at home. So then we get in fights a lot and it's more like it's coming from their frustration of not being able to help me, but then my frustration of not wanting their help either. So it was like kind of like we're always kind of clashing, but then at the same time, you know, they just really want to help me and that I'm just kind of tired of help at the same time, but also, no, they're just trying to help me with it, so. 
During the course of the time that you've had Lyme disease, have you felt any Lyme rage? And do you think that had, a, had an impact on the conflict that sometimes surfaced between you and your parents? Yeah, so that happens to me a lot at home. Like I never, it never happened outside of my home because I was able to do a pretty good job at containing myself when I was outside my house. But then I get home and it's like, it just like, like it almost explodes out of me just because I held it in all day. Like I had to talk to people all day. I had to do these things all day and I was just exhausted. And the last thing I want to do when I come home is talk to anyone. And I just want to go up to my room and just close my door and just stay in my room for as long as I want. So then when they could just literally say hi to me and I just have an attitude for no reason, but it's definitely affected us a lot um, with our relationship just because I'd be so irritated, very easily irritated. And they wouldn't fully understand why just because they can't, like there's no way unless they had it that they can, they can really understand. So it really caused a lot of clashing between us, especially because I'm also a teenager. So. Right. Too. Oh, and I, I know all about clashing with teenage daughters because I had four of them. So it's, oh, uh, yeah, yeah it's, uh, thank goodness I didn't have to have Lyme rage on top of just regular uh, father-daughter challenges. So tell, tell, us about, uh, tell us about how you're able to manage your Lyme rage when you're not at home. I don't know how I do. I think it's, I think just because I don't want to upset anyone and I kind of understand that they don't get it. And I just want to try to be as nice as I can um, to people outside of my home, which make, doesn't make a ton of sense. You'd think I also want to be nice to my family, which I do. But, like, I'm with them all the time. So it's, like, easier, I feel like, for people to take it out on their family versus people outside of your home. Because you don't, like, you know them, but you don't want to, like, be rude to them. You don't want to be rude to anyone, really. So it's, like, I try to just remind myself that I'm out of my home. I don't want to be rude to these people for no reason. And they're my friends and I love them. So I'm going to be nice to them. So <laughs> one of the things that I'm, um, I'm taken aback by is that it sounds to me that the educational system in old Lyme, Connecticut does not have any educational training for teachers or for students about Lyme disease. And because of that, Many of the young people like you are getting sick when they shouldn't be getting sick. But in addition to that, when they do get sick, their teachers don't know how to properly interact with the children who are sick from Lyme disease. And that makes your situation even worse, resulting in some cases uh, in frustration and fights at home because you just don't have a group of people who you'd expect would understand you not understanding yeah, exactly. It's crazy because like teachers really, you don't learn about it at all in school unless someone has it. So it's, they just don't really know how to handle it either, which is why I was so shocked about how amazing my high school teachers were just because middle school was so bad except for a select few. And it's just really weird to see that difference. So I don't know if my high school teachers were just way nicer or if they knew a little more about chronic illnesses or if my middle school teachers just had no idea and they just didn't have the patience or it's because kids that age also tend to fake some things to get out of school, definitely around that age. So maybe it was more from that thinking I was doing that just because I was so young. And then so, once I was in high school, I could advocate for myself and they really believe me. It's like I'm an adult now. So it's like. Yeah. So Abby, you've been seeing doctors for 
almost your entire life. Talk to us about the first doctors that you saw when you had the symptoms when you were around seven years old. Um, so when I was seven, I didn't really see any doctors around that age until I got that 105 degree fever, just because it was only like pain, like exhaustion and headaches and like some pain. So it's like, I never questioned it. We really honestly thought it was just maybe growing pains or like any stuff like that. But then once I got that fever and everything got way worse, that's when I saw the first doctor and they said, oh, you have the flu. But then, of course, the fever went away after a week and nothing else did. So then my parents were like, something's definitely wrong. And we went back and then they fought a bunch. And then they finally said, okay, we'll test her for Lyme, actually. And that was my primary care doctor. And then came back positive and they just did Doxy for two weeks. And then they said, she's fine. And then it kind of just dropped for the next little bit. So Abby, did the fever get better? And did all the symptoms that went along with the fever go away after the two weeks of Doxy? No, nothing really changed. I mean, the fever went away before I even started the Doxy. They wouldn't even look into Lyme until my fever went away because they were like, oh, it's just the flu. So when I took the Doxy, all it really did was make me feel really nauseous and sick, but it really didn't make anything go away. So there were no positive impacts that you can remember that the doxycycline had on your overall health? No, not at all. And even my parents were like super frustrated and went back and fought with the doctors about it. They're like, that did nothing. Nothing has changed. Like there has to be something else. And they were just like, oh, she's just growing. It's okay. And Abby, this was, this is when you were about 11 years old, correct? Yeah. But you were experiencing symptoms since you were about seven years old that started from, from strange symptoms that you developed as a young child, right? Yeah. And now that your parents realize you've developed these additional symptoms and the doxycycline didn't help you, I'd imagine that they were even more frustrated and pushed back against the doctors even more. So what happened next after that when the doxy didn't help you? After that, I think, um, I remember they started doing a lot of their own research, trying to figure it out. And then it was more about just like trying to find a doctor that would listen and um, do what I needed. So that was, um, really hard to find and we really didn't until now but they really just tried to do a ton of their own research but then it kind of all fizzled because i also got thoracic outlet syndrome so like in between these years the focus was really shifted towards that and kind of ignored everything else just because that was the main focus so that kind of got in the way of trying to figure out what the line was then so your health was getting worse and worse and worse and then you developed something that that they can put a name to and walk us through what that is and, and what that was like for you and what those symptoms are of, of that condition. Um, that one was, um, so we knew that was completely separate because it's just an arm thing. Um, it's when your rib and collarbone are too close and it cuts off all your nerves. So like my arm was literally, I couldn't move it. I couldn't pick up an empty soda can. My arm was like turning blue. It was, it was weird. So then that actually took a year to figure out. So that really took a year out of trying to figure out what Lyme was just because we're like, oh my gosh, you can't use her arm. It's blue. What is this? So that's where the focus is at. We finally find a doctor in Mass General. He's like, I don't think it's thoracic outlet because one, it's rare. Two, it only happens when you're like 40 and I'm 11. So he tested it and then he was like, well, you definitely have it. So then we did the surgery and then I was fine after. And then it happened three years later, which again takes the focus off Lyme. 
and then, but we knew what it was luckily. So he just did the surgery again and now I have no issues from that. Do you think there's any connection between that and your Lyme disease or do you think that was just bad luck that you had at a young age? I think it might've been bad luck because I was also a softball pitcher, which a lot of like repetitive activity can cause it. Um, I was reading about, I remember when I was younger. So I think it was just unlucky that it kind of just fell on top of the Lyme stuff. When you had your Lyme diagnosis when you were 11 and you got the two weeks of docs, it didn't help you. Did the doctors tell your parents at that time that you were cured of Lyme? Was that no longer a consideration after that? Or how did that go after that period? Yeah, the primary care doctor was like, because my test came back negative after doxy. Um, but that's like the one test the primary doctors have, which everyone <laughs> knows isn't really the best one either. Um, so after doxy comes back negative, they're like, she it shows nothing. She's fine. She's just growing like she's young. And my parents were like, this isn't normal growing. And she's exhausted. Like, so they got in huge fights. And then we were like, we're done. And then we walked out and kind of took it in our own hands to try to find a different doctor which then was the one that got arrested and felt kind of fizzled. We're going to get to that pretty soon about your doctor that got arrested. But before we get to that, what other doctors were you seeing when you were sick and you couldn't figure out what was wrong with you? So aside from your issues that you had with your arms, did you see any other specialists aside from your primary care physician? Um, I don't think I did until after the second line doctor because of how long the arm thing took, it wasn't really, we didn't really have time to try to go figure other stuff out. So after that second doctor, I started seeing like neurologists, rheumatologists, infectious disease, other primary cares, like psychologists, all of them. Definitely mainly out in Boston and Hartford because they're supposed to be the best that's around us. Um, yeah. So did you go to your second doctor because your first doctor got arrested? No, so the first doctor is the primary care. The second doctor is the one that got arrested. And then I Okay. And your second doctor was among others that were considered to be the best in your area. Yeah, he was supposed to be a pretty good doctor for Lyme. So So all of these specialists that you saw after your your second doctor who did get arrested, um, none of them thought about the Lyme disease diagnosis that you had at an earlier age, and they all just sort of couldn't figure out what was wrong with you, it sounds like. Yeah, and my parents always brought it up. They were always like, she got Lyme when she was young. We think it could still be that. And then they were all like, not if the test is coming back negative. And then one of the infectious disease was like, well, actually, Lyme can mimic fibromyalgia. And they were like, so maybe it's that. And then he sent me to pain specialists out in Boston. And then that was the focus for a lot of years. So despite the fact that you had Lyme in the past and now you're seeing specialists and despite the fact that you live in Lyme, Connecticut, where Lyme was discovered, none of these specialists in, in the best area where you live thought that you could possibly have Lyme because the tests were coming back negative. And yet we know these tests are at best, what, 50, 60% accurate. So that, that's really mind blowing from our standpoint. Yeah, it was crazy. And one of the, actually, one of the neurologists said to me, this was more recent, like right before I found my Lyme one. Um, he was like, he looked back at some of my records and I had been in a couple mental hospitals, like those places. And he was like, oh, so are you getting any help for this? And I was like, no, not really right now because we're trying to figure out what's wrong. And he was like, well, I really think you should be focusing on the depression in this because that could be a causing a lot of these issues. And my mom was like, are you kidding me? 
and this doctor also wouldn't even look at my symptom. I have a journal of symptoms just because my brain fog gets so bad. I literally can't explain my symptoms that well on my own, even if it's happening and I can't like put it into words. So I tried to show him the journal. He's like, no, I want to hear you say it. And I was like, I can't, I can't say it. So that was really frustrating. And again, Lyme can cause cognitive issues. You know what we call Lyme brain. So your doctors now aren't even recognizing your written symptom journal because they want to hear from you personally, but yet you're cognitively not able to speak to them and explain your symptoms. Yeah, exactly. I could say like pain and tiredness, but there's so many others that I can't like put into words on the spot, which is why I write it all down. So, so I'm getting angry just hearing this story because of how many times you were failed. Now, I'm sure your parents were, were outraged, but as a young child, did you realize what was going on? Were you angry or were you too young to realize that you were being mistreated? I think the anger really didn't start till once I was older, like early high school, maybe my last year of middle school, probably more early high school though. Just because when I was younger, it's just like, okay, I'm being dragged from doctor to doctor. My parents are trying to figure it out. It's like, I didn't really know what's going on. So I'm so young. Um, and it's just like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Do you, do you think that a lot of the reasons you took so long to get back to Lyme was because you're a young female who looked healthy and doctors didn't want to recognize that you can be sick because you were young, you looked okay and they just wanted to go right to something like a mental health issue, or it's something, you know, all the tests are positive. It's, you're healthy. It's, it's, there's nothing here that we can, we can tell you that is wrong with you, so it must be psychological. Yeah, I think that was the main issue. And I also think when I was younger, like throughout middle school and like, yeah, just middle school, I think a lot of them were reluctant to help me, one, because like you said, all that, but also because around that age, kids tend to be more dramatic and tend to exaggerate things to get out of like school and stuff like I've seen a lot of little kids I watch do it too it's not a uncommon thing so I think that's more like they're thinking oh she's just being a little dramatic like she's fine she just doesn't want to go to school or whatever so on top of the fact that you don't look sick that you're young you appear to be healthy they think that you're just a hormonal teenager who may be rebelling and they're telling you go see a psychologist basically and And as a consequence, this just really delayed your, your diagnosis. But did they try to treat you with anything for any of this, these misdiagnoses? So for anything like your mental health-related illnesses or any of the other physical misdiagnoses, did you ever get prescribed anything to try to help you? I wasn't on that many, like, antidepressants because I hate them, first of all. So I was really reluctant to try them. And then for the pain stuff, like at these pain clinics they would send us to, they tried to put me on some of the common pain meds like gabapentin and a bunch of others I honestly don't remember the name of. And did you go on them or did you refuse to take them? I went on a couple of them after being like worn down but I was really really reluctant to medicine unless we knew why we were using it because a lot of it was like guesswork and I was like I was not um, willing to just be put on all this medicine for reasons that they really didn't know why. I was like, I'm only going to go on medicine if you know why and you know what you're doing. I don't want to be doing guesswork. I don't want to be taking all this medicine just because you're guessing what is wrong. So it was more, I only want treatment if you know what you're treating and why. So did anything they prescribed ever actually help you? Or was it all just sort of making you feel the exact same way you were before? None of it helps. 
if anything, it all made, made me like worse, like nauseous and sickness wise. I'd get really sick. Even if I ate a bunch, it really, it's gross. I hated medicine. And how did your team of doctors respond to this? Did they feel that you needed to increase your dosage? Did they feel that it just wasn't the right medicine because they're prescribing you this medication to make you feel better for a misdiagnosis and now you're feeling, uh, feeling worse. So how did they react to that? A lot of them didn't really do anything. They're like, oh, that's just a side effect. A lot of them wanted to increase my doses. Like every time I went to Boston, I remember seeing one pain person for a while. And every time I went, all she did was move my joints around. Because I'm like hypermobile, so she just moved them around a little bit. And then she'd be like, oh, we should increase your dose. And it was like a 20 minute appointment that was like useless that we were driving two hours to go there to really just get my medicine dosage up. So now, kind of focusing on the time period here, so you're now seeing your second doctor, you're seeing a whole bunch of other specialists, they're giving you misdiagnoses from physical things to mental health things to fibromyalgia, and now your doctor, your second doctor that you're working with gets arrested. So talk to us about that and how that impacted your, your journey to discover your ultimate diagnosis that you got of Lyme disease. Yeah, I actually, um, my parents and I have talked about like thinking where I would have been now if he never disappeared because he was kind of, we think he was kind of onto something, like kind of understood more. He was like doing the no gluten, no dairy, like a lot of the Lyme doctors like to do. Um, I think he kind of recognized that Lyme was a huge possibility. I can't remember if he tested me. I think he might've, um, but he was one of the ones that actually kind of listened and understood. He didn't treat me like my current Lyme doctor, but he kind of knew more than any other doctor. So we kind of thought we were on a better path. And then we got a call one day that was like, oh, we need to cancel your appointment. And then we later find out that I will never be going back because he disappeared and got arrested, lost his license for prescribing his son narcotics for no reason. Um, but I think actually now, like not as like five, six years later, I think he might've gotten his license back, but I'm not sure. So that kind of, but back then it just kind of fizzled. So we had, it just dropped. So now we're back at square one because we have no contact with him. We have no idea where he is, which is done. So this is about five years ago. So, so you were about 14 years old at this point in your, 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 your journey. Or maybe I did math terrible. <laughs> it was probably a little more than that. I think that was more 12 or 13. So close. 12 or 13. So now you're 12 or 13. Your, your main doctor now is out of the picture. Your specialists aren't helping you. What do your parents decide to do next? Because you're still pretty young. Your, your parents are trying to help you feel better. Uh, what are their next steps to try to figure out what's really causing all your symptoms? Now it was like just, that was, these were the years of going to all those specialists, getting a fibromyalgia diagnosis, the mental health ones, like really focusing on just that. So Lyme was kind of out of the picture for a long time, um, especially because I had to get the second surgery again when I was 14. So it was more just going to all these doctors in Boston and Hartford, taking breaks at times because we just weren't getting any answers up until probably halfway through high school. Yeah, it was just guesswork. So it was really just fibromyalgia and mental health related illnesses, aside from your surgeries up until about halfway through high school. Yeah. And what happened when you got halfway through high school? Was there some sort of epiphany? Did you have some sort of revelation with the doctor or uh, was there some of something else that happened? We actually, so my mom worked with a 
different primary care doctor or more of a her place called whole self wellness it's more of a, like a holistic kind of thing um so she became our new primary care doctor so then i went to her and we did a line test again and it actually came back i think it came back positive again if i remember correctly um and then she but at that time like i'm a little older now i'm starting to understand we were still a little unsure so at that time i was more in the angry stage of like i don't want to do any of this i'm sick of seeing doctors because i've seen them so many times throughout my life so i was like i don't want to do this i don't want to take this medicine i'm done with it i don't want i don't want anything to do with doctors or treatment so i was very reluctant once we saw that third doctor um so I, not a lot was done there just because I didn't want to do it because I was so, so that, annoyed. So now you're about 16, you're halfway through your high school, you go to this holistic doctor that your mom recommends and you have a positive Lyme test and did the doctor urge you to get treatment for it? Or, you know, it sounds like you didn't want to move forward, but what were your parents saying? Were they pushing you to get treatment and you were refusing? Because it sounds like you finally had an answer again, but yet you didn't want to take action on it. Um, it was more she was going to treat me. I wasn't going to be going anywhere. Um, she had a couple, like, CBD, like, some of the liquid herbal stuff um, that I was going to do. It wasn't – I think that was it. Um, and to me, I was just like, like, what's that going to do? Like, it's just some herbal stuff. I don't want to follow another medicine thing. So I've been on a ton of medicine since then from those other doctors that kind of made me. Um, so it was more – I did have that – answer kind of but we were still kind of unsure and I think I was just super frustrated and reluctant to doing any of it from my past experiences with all the doctors I was like I want nothing to do with it and then my parents were pushing me to do it and that just got me more annoyed so I'm a teenager and so it was just a kind of a disaster around there that time. So your parents were urging you, but yet ultimately they left the decision up to you and you chose not to proceed with any sort of treatment from this natural doctor for your Lyme diagnosis. Yeah, I did. For That was something I was really reluctant for for a little bit, just because I was kind of just coming off all the doctors I had been seeing for so long. And it was just more frustration. I couldn't see past that frustration. It was just crazy. So, so look after here you are, you know, you're 15, 16 what type of symptoms you're having and how they're impacting your life. So obviously you mentioned earlier, you couldn't do certain things that other kids your age could do when you were even younger. So how did things progress and worsen by the time you were 16 and have an impact on your life? Um, as I got older, it's just like the pain got worse. I started seeing a lot more of the neurological um, symptoms of that side of the line. Um, I started not being able to go to my practices as much as I used to when I was younger, which I, didn't go to all of them then either, but it got a lot harder. Um, I stopped going out with my friends as much. It was starting, everything was starting to come down to an end almost up until now. Um, it was just a lot harder to do things. Every year of high school, I had more absences. Each year it got bigger. Um, and all the symptoms just were progressing. And around this time is when you had the Lyme rage as well, I believe. So this is when your Lyme rage was sort of starting to pick up and really get pretty bad with your family, right? Yeah. Can you, can you walk us through in detail some of the neurological symptoms you're experiencing? Because many Lyme patients experience a wide range of neural symptoms. So which one specifically were you experiencing? Um, 
there's quite a few of them. One of the two of the weird ones I find that are, or I think are really weird. Um, it's like, it's not quite Bell's palsy. It's like, you're, that's when your face like, it's like half of it, you can't move. I could still move it, but it would be like, it's always my right side and I can't see out my right eye. So then it's like, I only have vision on my left eye. And then it's like, I can't feel the right side of my face, but I can still move it. So it's not quite Bell's palsy, but it's really weird. Cause like, I can't move it, I can't see. And it just feels like, like when you touch it, it's almost like, like when you kind of lose feeling, but you can kind of feel it, like that weird light touch you can feel. It's, it's hard to explain. Um, it was weird. But Abby, we, we totally get that. I've actually experienced that as well. And many of our past guests have. So was your pain worse on your right side? Because you mentioned that the right side of your body experienced many of these neurological symptoms. Was your pain also worse on the right side of your body? Um, I don't think the pain was worse. It was more just like the neurological was happening more on the right side, except for one of them, one the neurological, or I would think is neurological, was like my whole body. It would be like, I'll just be walking or doing something and then all of a sudden like I can't see or I can see out of a very small hole, um, like right in front of me. And then I can't feel like my body or I can like feel it, but I can't feel it because I can't like walk. And it feels like like a ton of pressure. So it's like someone's like squeezing every part of my body and then I just can't move. And then I have to like sit down and like super dizzy. And it's a really, that one's a really weird one. So it like comes out of nowhere and then it goes away after like a few minutes. So I don't, that one is like a whole body thing. Everything else has been like on the right side. So the, all of these wacky things were happening when you were in high school and all of your doctors were still attributing this or some of your doctors were still attributing this to being psychological? Yeah, mostly psychological and then others were fibromyalgia. But because I had the fibromyalgia diagnosis, they're like, oh, this is psychological because like no one really does that much for fibromyalgia at all. So. That was just. So were, were you able to eventually graduate or did the Lyme have such an impact on you that you had to not be able to proceed with your high school education? So luckily I was able to graduate, but if I didn't have the teachers and the guidance counselor I had, I, there's no way I would have. Um, Cause by senior year or senior year alone, my abscesses got up to 300, um, over 300 classes missed. And that's definitely over half the school year. I don't know how it would work. Because the way it shows your absences is like how many you're absent from each block. So mine added up to over 300 from all the blocks put together. So all eight classes. So however that math works. I don't know how much like school that is. But it's way over, way over half the what's allowed. So attendants would always call me to their office, give me detention, tell me if this keeps happening like there's gonna something's gonna happen like can't graduate whatever it was but my guidance counselor really advocated for me and since she had power over attendance she was able to get me out of those situations all of my teachers would send in their opinions and be like she doesn't need this she has good grades she gets her work done she does well and they were honestly exempting me from like over half the stuff so I really didn't have to do that much but they all kind of like we're a support team and like really stood up for me and told attendants and like supervisors like she doesn't need to be held back she doesn't need to be punished she doesn't need to not graduate like she's doing fine in school so they really supported me there and 
were able to get me to graduate. And I, if I didn't have that, I don't think I would have. Did your parents have to advocate, advocate for you as well? So were they calling the school to explain what was going on at home and your health issues? Uh, so is that another piece of it that helped you get through, you think? Yeah, that gave my guidance counselor a lot more info aside from me telling her. Because like she'd hear it from my parents and my parents would get so frustrated. They'd call her and be like, why is attendance giving her detention? We know she doesn't need it. We know it's not her fault, all this stuff. So that really helped my counselor be able to support me even more because then she'd be able to have that evidence or whatever for attendance and be like, she does not need to be punished this way. And it really helped them understand more as well. So this is another common theme that we're finding with a lot of our guests where when they have support, they're able to help get through situations like yours where without the support, you may have not been able to graduate high school. And if you had less supportive family and less supportive teachers and, and social workers at, at school, you probably wouldn't have graduated high school, it sounds like you're saying. Yeah, I don't think so at all. They were, I still, I don't even know how to explain how thankful I am for them, but I really am. They were really amazing. So now you're at the point where you're, you're going to graduate high school. You're 18 years old. So this is, I guess, just last year for you. Mm-hmm. You know, where were you at symptom-wise? You still didn't have your last and final Lyme diagnosis yet. So how was your health? I mean, were you able to, to go out of the house? You know, walk us through what you weren't able to do at that point when you graduated. Um, senior year was really the year where I missed the most practice, where I missed going out the most. It was really the year that kind of where I lost most of the things Um, because it slowly progressed every year and then by senior year it's just like there's not a lot left so then my symptoms were getting worse too I was barely in school Um, it all got a lot worse by senior year which made it a lot more difficult to do school to be with friends to go to practice Um, so I missed out on a lot of that stuff and you know you mentioned that you did well in school and that your grades were, were pretty good. So did you ever experience brain fog or, or Lyme brain at any point where it impacted your cognitive abilities to perform well in school? Yes. And the only reason I came out with good grades was because my teachers exempt me from so much and I wasn't the best at tests. The ones I were good at were like science math. That was like the only thing I could wrap my head around because it was like, you're working it out in front of you. You don't have to remember anything. You have the formula sheet right next to you. It's not a lot of memory. It's just like, doing it on the paper, like writing it out. So that was really the only thing I could wrap my head around. Everything else, like anatomy, history, I did not do well on tests. It was super hard to grasp by the information. But because they exempt me from so much and really helped me with all the classwork and homework, that kind of balanced my grades. So like the homework would bring it up, the classwork would bring it up. The test would kind of bring it down, but I had enough on the classwork and homework side to kind of keep my grades up. So looking back at your, your high school career and even your middle school career, was there anything that helped you feel better that you can tell our listeners to give them a piece of advice when they're going through the throes of Lyme disease and the, and the symptoms of Lyme disease that um, may have had a positive impact on your health and you weren't sure why it helped you? Um, physically, I really can't think of anything, but mentally to get through school, The thing that helped me most in high school was that I was really, like I tell my followers this all the time, was that I was really honest and open with my teachers. I wasn't with any friends or anything because I was uncomfortable with it. But in my head, I was like, for my teachers to understand and not be mad at me and not like wonder why I'm never here. I have to be honest with them. I have to be open with them. I have to tell them what's going on or else it's going to seem like 
I'm just one of those kids that never wants to come to school and it's just doesn't care about schoolwork. So every time I was absent, I emailed them. I went to their classes every lunch to get what I missed. I was always in their room getting help. I was always showing them that I was trying really hard so that when I was not able to, they really understood and they were able to help me and really want to help me. So like one of my teachers actually said to me when I was talking to him one day, cause we were really close. He was like, if you weren't such a good, hardworking person, we, it would be a lot harder to want to help you. Cause he was like, we would have to, but it would be a lot harder to actually want to. Cause right now we really want to, we want to get you through high school. We just want to get you out of school so that you can get the treatment you need. And it would be a lot harder to do that if you weren't showing how much you actually care about school. So that made a huge difference. So it sounds like your, your open and honest communication skills really helped you get through the hard times before you knew exactly what was going on with your health. And without that, your, your high school career and your home life would have been much more difficult. Yeah, definitely. I think if I wasn't honest with my counselor and she wasn't contacting my teachers, I wasn't contacting my teachers, it would be a lot harder to believe. Even though I did that in middle school and they still didn't believe me, but high school, it really changed a lot. So a, a lot of people are ashamed or embarrassed to admit what's going on because they don't know what's causing these symptoms. So how did you get over that, that struggle to be so open and honest yet not know what's really causing it and get past the, what I'll call the shame of the unknown? I've, I still felt that a lot. Like my teachers were honestly the only people that I was open with. And I think it was because I really wanted to show them like that I was trying in school and I wanted to be a good student and that I wasn't a bad student. I wasn't missing school on purpose. So in my head, I was like, I just have to get past that part. Like I can keep it from everyone else, but my teachers are the ones who really need to know if I want them to believe me, if I want them to help me, if I want to be able to get through high school, I really just need to be open with them. And I wasn't doing that myself. Like my guidance counselor, I went to her a lot and we're, we got really close over four years and she really helped me by contacting my teachers, setting up meetings each year with all my teachers where we would kind of all come together um, at once and talk about what I needed and then talk about how they could help me. So it was really a lot of communication through her, like me to her to them, but also me to them. And I just kind of got over the shame part. So I was like, I'm not going to get through high school if I don't get over it. So I just kind of forced myself to because I wanted to get out of high school. So it seems like the two biggest takeaways from your story so far are you have to embrace your support circle, meaning embrace your family, embrace the teachers that wanted to be there to support you, and also be open and honest with those that you need to be. Because it sounds like you really couldn't with your peers and your, your, you know, your fellow students, but because you were so open and honest with your support group, you were able to get through high school and to get through a very difficult time in your life. Yeah, exactly. I was only open with the ones who obviously needed to know. Like everyone else, like in school would be like, why are you never here? Or like, she's never here, why? Like, she doesn't have to do all this work, blah, blah, blah. I would just kind of ignore it and just be like, I, I don't know, I'm sick, I'm tired. Or just be like, I had the flu, I would always say. Or just that I was tired, I didn't feel like coming and kind of play it off as like a joke, just because I really didn't want to get into that conversation ever. So everyone else was like that, but the teachers, I was like, I have to. So you finally graduated you still have no idea what's going on with your health. You're feeling worse and worse and worse. What happens shortly after your graduation? Walk us through your life at that point and your health at that point. So that was kind of crazy because I really wanted to go to UConn and the way I got into UConn was through D1 rowing. Um, Cause I had a good erg time. Rowing was really difficult. It put, put my body through a lot and I missed a lot of practice and it was not 
the best for me, I don't think. Mentally, it was great because it was my friends and stuff, so it was fun. But, like, physically, it was super hard. But I felt a ton of pressure because I did really well. So it was like, I have to do it, and then it would knock me out for, like, ever. So then I end up getting that scholarship to UConn. So I'm like, oh, I'm off to UConn. And, like, the first day of practices, I was like, this is not going to end well. I cannot keep up with this. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. I was not even going to class. I was literally only going to practice. And I was like, this is the only way I got in. I have to stay. And then I was like, I can't do it. This is not going to end well. And after maybe a couple weeks, I texted my high school counselor. And I was like, I can't. I cannot stay here. Um, and then she immediately was like, this is not a good idea. She looked everything up, figured out how to get me out, like how I had to um, cancel my admission. She did all that for me. I went and did it. She called my parents. <laughs> it was like I was her student again. It was kind of funny. Um, she kind of handled it for me, and I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm leaving. So I was at UConn for not even a month, and then I left shortly. So you left UConn. You, you went back home. Your health is even worse than it was when you graduated. What were your parents, now you're, now you're an adult, you know, officially, technically you're an adult. Were your parents urging you to seek additional guidance from the healthcare, you know, professionals that you, you had worked with in the past? Or were you sort of at the stalemate where you didn't know what to do? So, yeah, this was actually around the time right when I found my Lyme doctor. My dad actually found him. And at the time when he first brought him up, I was still in that frustration of, no, I don't want to see doctors. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I am done with it. And then after a while to myself, I was like, maybe I should, but I didn't want to talk to anyone about it. I really wanted to do it on my own. Um, so I kind of made an appointment without telling anyone. And my parents found out because they called to try to make the appointment for me. So they were like, she's going to go. And then it said, I already had an appointment. They're like, what? So then I went to him and kind of took it into my own hands. Like, even now, I don't talk to anyone really, except my line page, about my appointments and stuff. It's kind of my own responsibility. So he, he definitely found that doctor. And now I'm with him. So your, your dad finds this Lyme litter doctor. You, you refuse to go, but then you go on your own. He calls to force you in, but you're already in, it sounds like. It just uh, yeah. shows how much your parents really love and care about you. Mm -hmm. um, so it sounds like this, this doctor really has helped you so far. So if you're comfortable sharing his name with our listeners, they may be interested to know who has helped you with your Lyme journey. Yeah, so it's Charles Bazil. It's kind of, Bazil spelled weird. It's like B-I-Z-I-L-J. Um, and he's at Antero Healthcare in Ashford, Connecticut. Um, there's three Lyme doctors in Connecticut, and for some reason, nowhere around East Lyme, but there are three of them. He's one of them. He's the closest to us. So I started seeing him, and he actually um, grew up with my dad's side of the family, which is really weird, but also really cool. Um, so he knows, like, everyone on my side, my dad's side of the family. And, like, at our family gatherings, they're like, oh, we know him, like, from when he was, like, 18. And it's, like, it's kind of cool. So this is sort of, like, the, this is sort of different than other podcast episodes because you already had your Lyme diagnosis, which you sort of pushed to the side when you were in high school. So did, did he retest you for Lyme or did he just immediately start treating you for Lyme because you had that, you know, those several past positive diagnoses? Um, so actually, when I first saw him, I kind of blocked out a lot of like, I think my brain just blocked out without me even realizing a lot of the doctor stuff. And I even, I think my brain fog, actually, I totally even forgot to mention that the doctor that got arrested, because I completely, I honestly completely forgot until 
my dad reminded me and was like, you actually saw this doctor? And I was like, what? It's like, it was weird. It was like this whole memory that just kind of got blocked out. Um, and then, but I did bring up to him the one when I was 10. And then I think I brought up to him the one from my doctor before him. But then he was like, no, that's only one test. We're going to do all the ones I have. Um, he did the co-infection ones. He did a couple different Lyme ones. I honestly don't remember what they were. And then he sent it to all these different labs. One of his favorites are in, Ma in Massachusetts that he thinks is a really good one. He sent to a couple others and then he has his own lab. And um, he really wanted to just like test everything because he was like, you've had it for so long, it sounds like. So we're just going to test everything, see what we can find and go from there. So what were the results? Did you have Lyme again for a third time or a fourth time on a positive lab result? Yeah, so that one came back positive. Um, I guess one of the bands he was um, really focused on was the, what's it called? Like IG39, I think. I think. Okay. It's 39 or something. And he was like, that's one of the ones that's, like, if you have that, you have Lyme. There's no question about it. It's like one of the main bands that you really want to look for. And then, so that came back. I had a couple of some of those bands positive. I don't really remember. I just remember the 39 one because he was like so focused on it. And then mycoplasma came back. He was like, my levels for that were like through the roof. And he was really shocked because of all my symptoms. He was like, I don't know how you didn't come back positive for more co-infections. But then he's also like, I'm not going to rely on that because you can't always get it back positive. Um, so he is also convinced that I have Bartonella as well, just because I have those stretch marks. Um, and I was never overweight. I never gained weight. I never lost weight. I never, I was always fit my whole life. So he's like, there's no reason that at 19 or 18 years old, you should have those. Um, and then I also have a lot of the specific symptoms, which honestly I can't remember, but I know one of them is at the pain at the soles of the feet. And then a few of my other ones were really, part specific. So he was like, I really think you can also have that, but it's also hard to get a positive test on Bartonella. So he wasn't relying on the blood test for that. So since this doctor was very smart, he's a Lyme litter doctor, you tested positive for a couple of things, but he also made a clinical diagnosis based on your symptomology, which was very smart, recognizing that even the best labs in the world aren't perfect and they can result in having a false negative test. So now that you finally have your positive labs for some things, clinical diagnosis for other things, what was the treatment protocol that he put you on to finally help you start healing and recovering from all these tick diseases? The first one, so I'm on my fourth one, but the first one was, it's always been a mix of, he's not a fan of antibiotics, but he knows you kind of need them. So he put you on some of the really good ones. Like he likes azithromycin, he likes rifampin. Um, can't remember some of the other ones like there's a few others and then he also puts me on like LDN for some of the neurological stuff he puts me on thyroid and adrenal boosters he puts me on biofilm busters like stevia biocytin uh, a couple others and then there's stuff like glutathione um curcumin that was kind of where I was starting I can't remember all of them it was so many it was like 20 um but it was a mix of vitamins, herbals, biofilm busters, and then antibiotics to kind of work together. But nothing was really changing. I wasn't really herxing that much. So then he's like, okay, let's try some other stuff. So he added a couple more, made kind of a newer protocol. 
that still wasn't doing much. So then he puts me on the Dapsone protocol because he's had a lot of success with that. Um, he's gotten almost all of his patients into remission with it. A lot of them can walk again. A lot of them can actually have most of their life back and have had so much success with it. So he puts me on this one. And then what happens is I got the really bad reaction that has only happened to one other person, of course. And I ended up in the hospital for the night because it had did this reaction that can happen, but it's not like super common. It like dropped my oxygen. So I was like turning blue and then I was just really tired. And of course it's around Corona time. So everyone's like, oh my God, do you have the virus? And I'm like, no, I do not. So I go in the hospital and have to like talk them out of that because it was really, it was Dapsone. I even called them before going to the hospital. I was like, my lips are blue, my oxygen is low, my blood pressure's high, my heart rate's high. I have like, my mom's a nurse, so she has some of the stuff to check. Um, and he was like, first he wanted to see, do you have a sore throat? Do you have shortness of breath? I was like, no. He's like, okay, it's definitely the medicine. So he's like, go to the hospital. So we went and then I talked them out of the coronavirus thing. I'm like, it's my medicine. Do not put me on that floor. I am not getting that virus. Cause they were thinking about it. I was like, please do not. So then I finally got the ER doctor in and she's like, oh yeah, that definitely sounds like your medicine. It's not the virus. So luckily she knew that all the nurses didn't, but luckily she did. Um, so then they kept me, they waited for my oxygen to kind of go back up. They gave me a bunch of fluids. They, um, they kind of just waited. It was kind of more waiting, making sure nothing got worse. Cause my blood pressure was high. My heart rate was a little high. So like we waited for everything to kind of calm down with the fluids waited for the met hemoglobin test to come back, which it was high. Um, so that was interesting. So now I can't be on that protocol. <laughs> yeah, Dapsone is a, is a very tough drug for many people that we've spoken with. Um, so, you know, you, your, your reaction is quite severe, but we have heard others have negative reactions and have to stop taking it. None as severe as yours, unfortunately. Um, but so that's, so now that, now that you went through this, this experience, what were your next steps? Because everything else before is kind of keeping you at the same level. You weren't making improvements. Now the one thing that you had hoped for put you in the hospital and you had to stop taking. So what was your Lyme litter doctor's next step to try to get you better? He was kind of, he was upset definitely because he's had so much success with it. And he was like, was really hopeful for it just because of how um, well it's done for everyone else he, he treats. So he was like, well, there's nothing we can do. Like we shouldn't put you back on it. It might risk, it'll be too much of a risk. You could really develop some blood issues, which is what kind of happens. He's like, we don't want to risk that really. Um, so he was like, well, we just kind of have to move forward. We have to keep figuring it out, try to find something that works. So now I'm on that protocol and it's still a lot of the same vitamins, herbals, biofilm stuff. The antibiotics but he also added methylene blue which I guess some study came out recently at least in Connecticut I don't know um, that it's worked well for Bartonella or something some study came out he was telling me about so he's like I want to try you on this so I've been on that for maybe a couple weeks and then a bunch of like the rifampin the zithromycin the LDN the adrenaline thyroid support um, glutathione stevia there's something called like Huatina. I can't pronounce it. It's like Huatina or something. Um, it's a liquid one. Uh, it's like a lot of that. It's a mix so of everything. 
this has all been over the last 10 months that you've been seeing this line litter doctor. But let's let's talk about some of the, the specific things you tried. So you mentioned the LDN, the low-dose naltrexone, which is sort of like an off-label use for it. So have you noticed that that's helped you in any way? Because we have heard that has helped a lot of past podcast guests that we've interviewed. I think actually, at first I didn't really think, but then I started noticing the right side of my facing wasn't happening quite as much. So I think it kind of helped a lot with that. I haven't actually had it in a little bit, so... I think it's helped a little bit with my neurological stuff, even though it's still stuff like that still happens. I think it reduced it. And ha another drug you mentioned is the rifampin, which people have had a lot, uh, many past podcast guests have reacted negatively to. Have you had any side effects from rifampin or any, anything negative from that? Or has uh, primarily just been part of your protocol and it hasn't really had a, a positive or negative impact for you yet? Um, I've had a lot of side effects, so I'm, I can't, I don't really know what is from what, but I've heard rifampin can do a lot of, like, nausea and, like, feeling really sick kind of stuff, which I have been feeling, so it could be from that, but also could be from other stuff. So I have had some negative side effects, I just don't, I can't pinpoint which drug it's from. So uh, did you try any other treatments throughout this last 10 months? Um, I think we had mentioned off-air before this that you had tried red light therapy, so... Can you walk us through what that is and if you feel it worked for you in your specific Lyme disease case? Yeah, so there's a clinic by me that does, it's, it's actually all three of the stuff I think that I put on there was the red light therapy, the sauna, and then the Normatec boots. It was like a package. Um, but I haven't done it in a long time since so 500 a month. <laughs> or like every time you do it, if you don't do the 500 a month, every time you do it, it's like over $100. So it's really expensive. But when I was doing it, the red light therapy is supposed to, um, I think it's just supposed to reduce your pain and you just stand in between these like walls and it has like the red light come out and you just stand there for 10 minutes and then it's supposed to reduce your pain a lot and then they send you into the sauna right after. So you have like your own room with the red light therapy and then you go into the sauna for an hour and then, well that's after the Normatec boots. So those really were just kind of detoxing and trying to get some pain relief. And then the Normatec boots were just to help pain in my legs, which I really like because they're really big and they like massage your legs. They're really cool. So, so, so describe these Normatec boots for us. They're just giant boots that massage your feet. I mean, you know, give us an idea what, what they're like. They go from your hips all the way down to your feet. So it's like your entire leg and they just put a ton of pressure and slowly like compresses your leg to get like the blood moving is what they were saying. And then it like releases and then does it really slowly back and forth. And it's to get kind of more of a blood flow is what they were telling me. And it feels really, really nice because I have a lot of leg pain issues. So it really helps a lot with my pain there, but it's so expensive. So I haven't done it in a long time. So this one is actually how we, we found you on Instagram is talking about how physical therapy has helped a lot with your pain as well. So it seems like you've been using physical therapy in parallel over the last 10 months with your Lyme treatment and your Lyme litter doctor. So can you walk us through specifically what type of physical therapy you're doing and what sort of an impact it's had on your symptoms? Um, so I actually started two years ago and we knew my PT from the gym I used to go to. He was kind of, we were kind of friends with him from the gym, like he's a gym family friend. And then I always had, I had this pain before I even knew the Lyme and he was like, oh yeah, come in, like we can, we can work stuff out. Um, so I went in for my first appointment and I told him everything and his face 
I still laugh a lot about his face to this day when I first told him everything, because he was just like, what? Um, he was like, okay, I need to get my brain together, but let's start from head to toe. So he kind of worked, he worked with me for over two hours, my first appointment, and just kind of went through everything. He kind of tested everything, like reflexes and like a bunch of stuff, like moved me around a little bit, really went through in detail from head to toe, just to be able to get his brain together. So then after that first appointment, I started going twice a week. And in the beginning, it was a lot of exercise and manual therapy. Um, but then after a while, it kind of, it was working, but we wanted to try, he brought up dry needling for pain. And I was like, oh yeah, let's try dry needling. And then that ended up being a huge pain reliever. So we were like, let's keep doing that. So kind of transitioned from exercise to dry needling. Um, since I knew what exercises helped, I could do it on my own. I didn't really need to be doing them there. So now it's more, I go there, I get dry needled, and it's acupuncture needles, but it goes into your muscle instead of the surface of your skin. So it goes into the trigger point and then releases it. And when it first goes in, it hurts a lot. And it's like this like deep pressure thing. But then once it releases, it's like this, it's like you feel so much lighter and it's like this huge, just like pain relief. I mean, it still hurts, but you reduce your pain a lot. And then he puts it, he literally needles me, my head, my neck, my traps, my shoulders, my upper back, mid back, lower back, my front and back of my hips. Um, and that's really all we have time for because it takes an hour and a half to do everything. And it has worked really well for the past two years. It's the only thing that's given me any real pain relief. So now I go once a week because insurance is kind of difficult. But it's been working really well. And then after he does the needling, he does manual therapy. And we mainly focus on my head and neck since those are the worst for me. So he'll do releases on my head that will help with headaches. He, like, puts his fingers under my skull and then, like, pulls. And it kind of reproduces a headache, but then it goes away after. And then he'll flip me over so I'm like face down. And on the back of my neck, he pushes on each joint in your neck from like C1 all the way down your neck to the end. And he moves it and I, I'm really hypermobile so he can push really far. And he moves it around and it reproduces a lot of headaches when he presses the side of your head, like the joints up here. And it like puts the sharp pain all the way to your eye which I get a lot, but it's supposed to reproduce it so that after it feels a lot better, which it does, it works really well. And then he cracks my neck, he'll crack my back sometimes, and all that together works really well to keep me kind of functioning a little better while I'm going through treatment, so it's more supportive care. So he has to kind of get through insurance with that, but it's been working for two years, so. So Abby, in addition to the dry needling and the manual work that he's still doing with you every week, what were some of the exercises you mentioned that you now do at home that have helped you uh, that you started doing early on? Some of them, um, there's a lot of them. So one of them is controlled articular rotations, which I really like. There, there's a video, if you look it up, you can find like videos on it everywhere. Um, I like the CrossFit Invictus video. They're really clear about explaining it. And it's just moving your joints from head to toe in slow controlled circles. And you want to do, it's supposed to help with your pain. So if it's hurting, you need your circles to be smaller. You don't want it to be hurting. So even if your circles are like super small and it's not hurting, that's fine. Um, so that's one of them that really helps with my swelling and pain in joints. 
a lot of them are with like bands that you'll find at gyms. So I use like a thin band for like my hips and you like put it around your hip and you have that leg straight and then the other one up like at a right angle and like you push forward and like squeeze your glute and you want to feel like this tug in the front of your thigh. And then other ones are like, you put one around your head and let it pull on your head, which helps a lot. And then there's a lot others that I can't remember. Well, I think, Abby, a good resource for people that want to learn more is to follow you on Instagram because you have so many great videos describing what these things are and mm -hmm. things that have helped you in physical therapy. So you've given us a whole bunch. But for, for those who want to learn more about this, they can just check you out on Instagram. And Abby, what's your handle for those that want to check you out and learn more about this? Um, it's Kick Out Lime. And yeah, I do have a lot of videos on there, which I honestly can't remember right now which ones I've posted or even what they do. Um, but I have them all written down in my notes. So like I remember and I make videos and I'll post about them because they honestly have been super helpful for me. And they're really light. So for people who can't like do a ton, they're not like crazy. It's more like sitting in one spot and just doing it slowly. They're really Sabby, you, you did mention that one of your doctors in high school recommended something uh, with CBD in it. Have you ever tried CBD since? Has that had any impact on you and, and your health? Yeah, that's a part of my protocol actually. Um, I haven't noticed a difference really with CBD itself, I don't think, that I can think of. Maybe it, it me a little bit. Is it a CBD like under the tongue drop? Is that what you're taking? Yeah. So the one of the last things that I want to ask you about is the Theracane, which just to me was, looked awesome. That's how we, that's the first video I ever saw of yours actually. So can you walk our listeners through what the Theracane is and how it's helped your health? Um, the Theracane I actually also found from physical therapy. Almost everything that helps me has come from physical therapy. Um, it's like this, it's a cane. And it has a ball at the end of it. It's like a curve, kind of looks like half a pea almost. Um, it has a ball at one end, the ball at the other end. It has another mini cane coming out the middle of it with another ball at the end. And then it has two balls like at the top, which is meant for the back of your head, kind of like mimicking what my physical therapist does. And it's also, it's like dry needling, but without needles. It's for like trigger points and you push, like you choose whatever knob fits best, I guess, wherever you're trying to reach. And I use it and I push like super hard on the area that hurts and it hurts a lot. But the more, the harder you push, it'll eventually release that trigger point and then you feel it almost like flatten. It's really weird. It's like you can feel like just the release and then it flattens and then you feel a lot better and it really gets rid of that tight like achy feeling in like certain spots and I, I love it. I use it all the time. So I know that many people uh, including us have reached out to you about where they can buy the Theracane. So is there a link in your bio on your Instagram for those that are interested to learn more about purchasing the Theracane in addition to the videos you have on your Instagram? Um, it's on the link in my bio, but I did make a post about it earlier on. It's on Amazon. If you just search Theracane, it comes up and it's this blue one and it says it's for fibromyalgia. That's the one I bought. So if you like search Theracane fibromyalgia on Amazon, it comes up and it's only $19, which is really nice. What um, we'll do, Abby, is we'll, we'll put the link in the show notes. So when, uh, for those who are listening to this podcast episode, they can look at the link in our show notes to uh, see the specific Theracane that you use, Abby. Yeah, I love it. I bring it everywhere. 
So although it's only been 10 months, it seems like you've done so much with this Lyme Leader doctor and your physical therapist. So give us an idea of where your health is today um, and what your plans are for the future. Um, right now, it's weird because PT is so helpful and I'm super grateful for him because he's been so helpful. He fights my insurance and words it in a way so that I can keep seeing him. And um, he's been a huge support either mentally and physically. So he has helped me so much and really keeps my pain under control, but it will last a few days. So then coming off that is really hard because then everything starts to get back to how it really is. And it's like, oh my God, I have to wait another few days till I see him again. Um, so he really just kind of keeps me, he's trying to manage me. So my health, it's almost like it's getting worse, but at the same time I'm being managed. So it's being helped. And then with my Lyme doctor, they work together. So like my Lyme doctor tells him all the time, he's like, please don't, please don't let her leave. Like keep her on as long as you can. Cause he knows he's helping me. Cause my Lyme doctor and I are still trying to figure out what works and what will work and trying to figure out when I'll have like a good Herx. Cause I have had Herxes, which I think I am right now. Cause I've been having so many hot flashes, but I've never gotten better after them. So it's all just been bad ones. It's just been like, I herx and then it's like, nothing changes. Um, so we're still trying to figure it out, but this new protocol is still new. I've only been on it for a couple weeks. So I think it's more of just waiting a little bit to see if anything changes with this one. Um, so I would say it's like worse, but I have more support now. So the support has changed a lot, but I have gone worse almost. And I'm going back to school, which I'm excited about. And I made that decision because of the support I have now. Like I have the people that I need to be working with. So it's not kind of like navigating it on my own and having no answers and having no support and not gain any progress or whatever. So school will hopefully be a little easier with that support, but we'll see. And then I wanna go to PT school too, because I actually wanted to be a vet. But then the whole Lyme thing really changed my career path in the PT once I started going there. Because I'm like, I want to do stuff with chronic illness people. I want to be able to do what my PT has done with me. Because you hear of a lot of PTs not doing that. Like one of my followers told me she can't do that much. And a PT came to her house and refused to help her. And I was like, that's really sad because there's so many good ones. And that gives like such a bad image. You just need to find like the right one. And I want to do that really badly. So Abby, in addition to going through a uh, career transformation, or at least a focus uh, of a career transformation, we also notice that you've, um, you've gone through um, social media to try to help other folks who are going through these challenges. So can you share with us what inspired you to reach out to other people when you're in the throes of all of your own challenges? Um, it took, definitely took over 10 years to actually start talking about it. Um, but when I first put out a video on my regular Facebook after seeing my Lyme doctor, I was like, okay, I have an answer. I should share this information. It's not really guesswork anymore. And I'm going to hope people don't become invasive and start like talking to me unless they want the information and want more awareness and stuff like that. I just didn't want to be bombarded with a bunch of like sympathy and all that stuff. So when I put out that video, it got a lot of like good attention, like a lot of people wanted information, a lot of people wanted to know more. And I was like, okay, this is really cool. 
So then after a while, I was like, I wanted more of a audience that was more like me instead of like friends and family and like other people. Cause it's like, I want to be able to help more people, not just like spread the awareness. So I was like, maybe I should make an account. So then I did. And then it ended up right now it's doing pretty well. And I've gone really close with some of my followers and a lot of them have my phone number. And we actually made a girl and I were like, let's make a group chat maybe. And we expected to get like 10 phone numbers. We got 40 and we were like, oh my God, what do we do with all these phone numbers? So we had to make three group chats, which actually right now are really cool. So we talk every day and everyone shares like what they did today or like one of the group chats. We talk about one thing we accomplished at the end of every day. It's like where you can come for information. A lot of them talk about stuff that has helped everyone. We share different links. We talk about different treatments, stuff I haven't even heard of, stuff other people hasn't even heard of. So I think it's been, that's been really cool to like have each other and kind of like understand each other and share different experiences. And then same thing on the actual account. It's like I get people in my messages asking for advice or like they share stuff with me and it's been really cool to connect with such different people and learn like so much more than I already knew. And like, I didn't know half the stuff I've learned already from all of them. So it's been, it's been really cool. So one of the things we really appreciated about your social media is your authenticity. Um, so much of what we find frustrating, and I can tell you as an old man, I personally find frustrating is you have all kinds of people on various social media, all made up, their hair is fixed up, their clothes are perfect, they're posing in one way or the other. And then they'll say in the background every once in a while, well, you know, that's only for two minutes of my day. I really am in a lot of pain, but they're of course presenting very differently. Whereas mm -hmm. you're really authentic and you're quite frankly, only the second person that we've interviewed that we would quite frankly compliment as authentic on your social media, where you are really showing yourself when you're having challenges. You are giving uh, advice about how you've overcome challenges. You're giving how-to videos. And the one that I, you know, I, I was the most saddened by, but I thought was the most authentic was, um, you described having, a, having to purchase a cane, not your third cane, but a regular cane. Mm -hmm. And you didn't even describe the cane as a cane. You just described it in, with some cuss terms. And, and I <laughs> thought it was so, authentic and powerful and uh and i and i'm sure um you know your audience is uh is really moved by that because we as outsiders were really uh moved by the authenticity of account so can you talk to us about why you're just being authentic rather than putting on a happy face and a lot of makeup and um and wearing wigs um you're you're really just being authentic and and, and sharing your experience um, I think, honestly, it's because in the real, like, life world, like, going out and, like, school and all this stuff, I always, I never talked about it. I tried to hide it as best as I could, which I always did, I think, a pretty good job at. So it's, like, I feel like a lot of people try to do that, and it's, like, super frustrating because you have nowhere to, like, show or talk about or see other people going through what you're actually going through. So, like, I don't want to be posting all positive all the time. I don't want to be posting like, oh, this is what I did today. Like, I felt great, did all this, did that. Because like, that's not my life. That's like a fraction of it, a very small fraction of it. So it's like, why would I share what barely is my life when everyone else is going through exactly or like similar to what I am going through and they probably feel like weird about seeing all these like positive posts and being like, 
wow, am I the only one that's feeling this bad? And it's like, no, you're not, because everyone is. They just don't talk about it as much. So then I really want to just talk about it as much as I can to kind of be like, you're not the only one stuck in your bed. You're not the only one feeling like crap all the time. Like, you're not the only one going through all of the bad stuff, because it's never shown. I feel like my feed is filled with all the, like, positive stuff, and I'm like, that's going to make people think they're the only ones going through, like, really bad days, and it's like, that's not the case. It's just what people are choosing to show, so I feel like it's better to show the reality and to show other people, like, that other people do go through it and then show people that aren't quite aware what it's actually like as well, so it's more of just awareness and trying to show people that they're not the only ones, because I think Instagram can really make you feel like that by seeing all the good ones posts. So in addition to being one of the few folks who are showing the real Lyme experience, um, we want to ask you now on the micro, what would you do if, God forbid, your mom came in right after this podcast and, and showed you that she had a tick biting her on her arm? What advice would you give her so that she would not suffer chronic Lyme disease the way you have been um, facing? Well, I mean, since I have my Lyme doctor, I would be like, you should go see him. Um, but I know that's also a really hard thing because of how expensive it is. And it's like, am I going to go before I even feel sick? And maybe, I don't think it's a waste of money, but some people might think like, am I really going to waste like $500 to go figure out if I'm sick or not before I even feel it? So, I mean, if she was willing to, then sure, I would want her to go there. But if she wasn't willing to, I'd be like, okay, maybe like wait a little bit. If you start feeling anything different, then you have to go, like anything at all, because you're not going to get any answer from the regular ones. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with guest Abby Lotridge. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Abby Lotridge and her tick disease journey, please visit her Instagram at kickoutline. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp interview with Abby Lotridge, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or improvements you would like to offer. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes or on our website. We make it a point to listen to every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.